Hello everyone and welcome to our time together in the Word of God for today. Let's begin, shall we, with a word of prayer and ask that the Lord would speak to us and open our eyes to his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to draw near to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word today. We pray that your anointing would be upon my speaking and upon all our hearing. We pray that we would discern what you are saying to each one of us personally by your spirit. And we ask that, Lord, we would respond in the way that you would have us respond. We ask for your enabling and for your strength, for your grace. Oh, Father, we pray all these things to your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you will know that over the last uh, two or three weeks that I've been speaking, I've started a new series on the attributes of God under the title of Coming Back to the God of the Bible. And I believe this is so important for us in these days particularly because many people have various views on what God is like. Even within the professing church, there are various views as to what God is like, but not all of them are biblical. And it is important for us to know who God is according to his word. The best person to show us what God is like is God himself. And praise him, he's given us his word that we may learn of him and come to know him by his spirit, teaching the scriptures to us, opening our eyes to more of his character and his nature. So important for us to do this, dear friends. You see, what we think of God will profoundly affect the way we worship him and the way we live our lives and the way we are in public and the way we are in private. It is so important for us, therefore, to come to know the God of scripture, and as we do that and allow the Spirit of God to open our eyes to more of who God is, oh, how that will affect the way we worship Him, the way we treat the name of the Lord, the way we live our lives. And so I believe in this age how it is very important for us to come back to the Scriptures. We mustn't allow the thinking of our age or the spirit of this age to affect the way we think of God. We must allow the Spirit of God to open the Word to us and we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. May the Lord help us even today. Well, let us begin by looking at the book of Ezra and chapter 9 and verse 14. The particular attribute of God that we are looking at today is the fact that God is righteous. The fact that God is righteous. And I'm going to read from verse 14 of Ezra chapter 9. Ezra's praying to God and he says, Should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldest not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. Now just to give a little bit of context to what Ezra is praying, back in verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 9, we read about the fact 
that the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites had not separated themselves from the people of the surrounding nations. For example, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites and the Jebusites and so forth. And that they had taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons. So that what resulted was the holy seed had been mingled with the peoples of those lands. And Ezra is in grief about it. He's praying, he's mourning before God about this mixture that has taken place. And in the midst of his prayer, he prays in verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. And how important it is when we're praying before God to remind ourselves, God is righteous. And this is something we should be declaring in our praying and in our worship. To remind ourselves as we come before God that the God we come before is absolutely righteous. So Ezra declares this fact in chapter 9. Let's move on to Psalm 145, please. Psalm 145. And we read in Psalm 145 and verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. In other words, everything he does is righteous. There's not a work that God does on the earth. There's not a dealing he has with any people on the face of the earth that is unrighteous. All his works are done righteously and there is nothing he does that is unjust. Which means that there's nobody that can point the finger to God and say, you have been unfair to me. No, because the word of God states quite clearly in this verse that the Lord is righteous in all his ways. There's nothing crooked about the Lord at all. There's nothing perverse about him. Everything he does is just and righteous. And all his dealings with us, dear friends, have been righteous. There's nothing the Lord's done to any of us that has been evil or in any way um, uh, somehow uh, corrupt. God is just and God is righteous in all his ways. Hallelujah. Moving on to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 12. And again, another prayer, like with Ezra. Jeremiah is praying to God and he says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Again, in prayer, bringing to God, the truth, the fact, the acknowledging that God is righteous. And then finally, to the Gospel of John, please. Gospel of John, chapter 17. The Lord Jesus is praying here himself. The Son of God, God the Son, in what's known as the high priestly prayer. And we read, let's read from verse 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, 
The world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. The Lord Jesus is the one that knows the Father more than anybody else. He knows the Father along with the Spirit. And he declares in his prayer that the Father is righteous. He says, O righteous Father. This is the very Son of God speaking. And he declares that the Father is righteous. Well, we could look at many other scriptures that express this truth and declare it. But let us move on. What is it, therefore, to be righteous? If God is righteous, and we've seen that he is, the word of God makes that quite clear in many places. The next question is then, what is it to be righteous? Well, it is rightly said that the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. And the Word of God shows us the very nature of what righteousness is and expresses it. We read this in Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. And I'm going to read from verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, I'm going to skip down to verse 9. The other requirements mentioned are in verse 6 through 9. But right at the end of verse 9 it says, He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. You can read um, the other requirements at your leisure between verse 6 and 9. But here I'm reading again from verse 5. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, end of verse 9, he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. Notice that um, the word just is connected with what is lawful and what is right. Now secondly, the book of Zephaniah, please, and chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. In this particular verse of scripture, it shows us that the fact that the, the Lord 
is righteous in verse 5. And then it goes on to say, he will not do iniquity. So being righteous has to do with not doing iniquity. It means to be away from what is iniquitous. It means to be um, that doing that which is lawful. To be righteous is to have that character that leads one always to do what is right. The word from the Hebrew means lawful and has been described as being straight, that which is straight. The English word righteous was formerly spelt or pronounced right-wise, i.e. in a straight way. And it got changed over the years to be called righteous. In the New Testament, it denotes being in a state of right conduct. So this is what this word actually means, righteous. So the question is, how is the righteousness of God manifested? Well, let's turn to Psalm 11, please. Psalm 11. And let's see how the righteousness of God is manifested. Psalm 11, and we're going to read from verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Well, there in verse 5 we read about how the righteousness of God is manifest. Concerning the righteous, the scriptures say that the Lord tries the righteous. Another word there we could use is prove the righteous or examine, but he tries them, he proves them. As in the way of um, refining gold, as gold is refined and as silver is refined. The Lord does refine and prove his people, but he does it unto bringing forth what is precious and what is lovely. That's what the Lord does to the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul, the Lord's soul, hateth. Now, do we understand this, friends, that the scriptures are showing us that there are souls that God hateth? Look what it says in verse 6. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Why is that? Why does the Lord cause there to be snares and fire and brimstone upon the wicked? Verse 7 shows us, For, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. And his countenance does behold the upright. So the righteousness of God is manifest in this. That God loves what is right and God hates what is iniquitous. Isn't it an incredible thing? 
It is true that God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but he does judge and he does get angry with those that walk contrary to his laws. Why? Because he's just, because he's righteous. If he was a God that was indifferent to righteousness, he wouldn't have a problem with things that were iniquitous. But it's because he is just, it is because he is righteous in all his ways that he must, by definition therefore, hate what is iniquitous and what is godless, what is impure and what is crooked. And the Lord must judge it. If he is to uphold his righteousness, he must judge sin. What a thought this is. And how this should affect the way we think about God towards sin and towards those who don't know him. So important that we get a right view of God, isn't it? The Lord loves righteousness and he hates unrighteousness. In fact, God the Father speaks this over his Son in Psalm 45. It's a prophetic passage of scripture. It's, it's the father speaking to the son. And the father's going to bless the son because the son loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. Psalm 45 and verse 6. This is the father speaking. We know this as we look through scripture. And you'll find this verse repeated in the book of Hebrews. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, on account of the fact that thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness, therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness, above thy fellows. All the blessing here upon the Son of God is related to the fact that he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. So we see this effect in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit as well, for he is holy. Hate what is iniquitous and love what is righteous. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The manifestation of God's righteousness is, is revealed in his visiting upon sinners, judgment due to their sins. I wonder if you'd turn with me to the book of Exodus, please. And we read of this in the book of Exodus and chapter 9. Exodus and chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, I'm going to read from verse 23. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hell upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the, mingled with the hell very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And the house smoked throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. And Pharaoh sent 
and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. What a statement that is. Notice how he states that the Lord is righteous and then the opposite is true of himself. In other words, that he is wicked and that his people are wicked. This is Pharaoh speaking. And he acknowledges his sin in the light of the fact the Lord is righteous. Incredible. What an amazing statement this is. And you know, dear friends, um, when you think back, think on rather, in back rather to it, is Exodus chapter 5. If you go back to Exodus chapter 5, we read these words in verse 1 and 2, where uh, Pharaoh is uh, speaking to uh, Moses and Aaron. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. What a statement that is. He says, I know not the Lord. I'm not going to let the Israelites go. God begins to bring his judgments in the land. And then we have this verse in verse 27 where it says, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. He's acknowledging that the God that Moses and Aaron worship is the living God the God of Israel, and that he and his people are wicked. Why? Because God's judgments are in the land. And you remember what the scriptures say in Isaiah chapter 26. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 9, we read these words. Just the second part. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. You see, that's the point. The reason that God brings judgments often in the earth is to cause the inhabitants to learn righteousness. It's to bring them to a place where they learn what is right. Well, we know with Pharaoh, he hardened his heart and rebelled against God. But it doesn't detract from the fact that what he acknowledges is absolutely true in Exodus chapter 9. Another passage of scripture that speaks of the fact of God visiting people with, in judgment because in being righteous is found in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel in chapter 9. If you turn with me to the book of Daniel please. Daniel in chapter 9. And I'm just going to read from verse 12 through 14. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as has been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. Now notice, dear brothers and sisters, this verse 14 for a moment, please. Daniel rightly acknowledges 
that it is the Lord that has brought upon the people what they have experienced against them. And he says, the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. Now, remember earlier we talked about Psalm 145 where the psalmist rightly declares that God is righteous in all his ways. Well, Daniel does the same thing here concerning his works. He says, righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. In other words, the judgment comes or the corrective measures come in because the people have not obeyed the voice of the Lord and because God is righteous. On to the book of Revelation, please. One final verse on this particular theme. Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. And we're going to read from verse 5. Revelation 16. Let's read from verse 4, in fact. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and, and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Notice, thou art righteous, O Lord, in connection again with judgment upon peoples. And this is a particular view of God that isn't popular today, that God would actually judge people for wickedness and sin. But if we don't understand God as righteous, we will miss have a misunderstanding of the nature of sin and how evil it actually is. We don't see that, that sin must be dealt with. It is a tragic thing. It was A.W. Tozer who once said, the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. It hushes their fears and allows them to practice all pleasant forms of iniquity while death draws every day nearer and the command to repent goes unregarded. It is such a true statement, is it not, dear friends, that we have preached a God almost that only is nice and could never judge what is iniquitous. And it's often because we've so put before our eyes the truth and fact that God is love. But we have done so in a way whereby we have discarded the fact that the Lord is righteous. Now if you believe that God alone is purely loving, eventually you'll get to the point where you, you won't believe he could get angry with sin or sinners. Or have to judge any of it. And sad to say, there is this kind of thinking that is coming into the church. We see it in some of the songs that are being sung. Dear friends, a kind of soft form almost of universalism coming in. I think it's going to increase. And we need, if we're going to be the people of God, to get back to what the Word of God says. And we need to realise 
The Lord says that he is righteous. He's mentioned that in his word. And because he's righteous in all his ways and righteous in all his works, therefore he must judge sin and he must hold the sinner accountable to his iniquity. It is clear. But of course, if you lose sight of God being righteous, you'll begin to just lose something of that edge. And then, dear friends, this is not to diminish the fact that God is love or that God is merciful, or that God is compassionate. He is all these things also. God willing, we will be able to look at these things in future days and meditate upon them and enjoy them. But dear friends, if we are to have a right view of God, let us understand also that God is righteous and just. And he must punish sin to be righteous. So important for us to see that. Now, moving on, the righteousness of God is also manifest by bestowing upon the righteous reward due to their faithfulness. You see, the righteousness of God is not only mentioned in Scripture in connection with judgments uh, in the earth, but also in ministering blessing to the people of God. I wonder if you turn with me in this regard to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read... From verse, let's see, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. No, let's read a bit earlier, verse 6. For This is Paul the Apostle speaking and he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What a testimony this is, dear friends, isn't it? That Paul gives here. And he says in verse 8, Henceforth, therefore, if you like, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So this crown of righteousness is given to all those that love is appearing and this giving is in relation to the fact that the Lord is a righteous judge. You see, because the Lord is righteous, if we're walking in the ways of the Lord, the Lord will not forget that. The Lord will not turn his eye away from those who walk with him. His, he is for them. He will remember the works that he's been able to do through us while we've been on the earth. And when God willing, um, we get to, to glory, it will be that those particular works will be remembered. Because the Lord is just to remember what he has done in us. And it will be all to his glory and to his praise. Well, what a wonderful statement of scripture this is. Moving on, let's go back to Psalm 7. Psalm 7, and we read concerning blessing in Psalm 7 and verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. There's another verse concerning the Lord establishing the just, for the righteous God trieth the the hearts and the reins. 
Blessed be his name. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, My, my defence is of God, who saveth the upright in heart. Why does God save the upright in heart? Because God is righteous to do so. He, is, um, he remembers his own. And he looks upon them. And he is righteous to remember them. Now, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. We read these words. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Let's read from verse 9. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labour of love, which ye have shown toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. So the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, God's not going to be unjust to forget what you have done, your ministry to the saints. It would be a matter of injustice for God to forget what they had done. That's what the implications are of this particular verse. But because God is righteous, he's not going to forget the works and labor, labors of love that the uh, Jewish believers had been doing and in their day. And the same is true of us today, dear friends. God is not unjust to forget your work and your labour of love. Maybe you feel that it's somehow you're forgotten. Maybe you feel that other believers are not seeing what you're doing and you're working hard, you're seeking to minister to the saints, but the gratitude seems to be uh, not really forthcoming, shall we say. Remember this, dear friend, God is not unjust to forget the works that you've been doing. He sees them all. And the most important thing is that God sees what you're doing. And it's because he is righteous that he's going to remember the works that you've done. And one day they will be told, even if they are forgotten by men on the earth in the now. Remember your God remembers what you've done because he is righteous and because he is not unrighteous to forget. Blessed be his glorious name. What a God we have, dear friends. Well, the righteousness of God is also manifest in the fact that he protects and delivers his people. We'll look at a couple of scriptures on this account. Psalm 98, getting you hopping about Today in the word of God, I trust you don't mind that, that you're happy to flick the pages of your Bible and get right to the verse and read it with me. Uh, Psalm 98 verse 1 through 3. O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness has he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Marvellous. Let's look at Psalm 129, verses 1 to 4. Psalm 129. On a few pages. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. May Israel now say... Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. 
yet they have not prevailed against me. The plows plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous, he hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. What a tremendous statement that is. You know the plows plowed upon the backs of the people of Israel, but because the Lord is righteous, he cut asunder the cords of the wicked. He defended his own in righteousness. He comes and removes the attack upon the people of Israel. He does it in his righteousness. He's a God who is faithful to his people and is righteous in all his ways. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, you know, dear brothers and sisters, you know, even the righteousness of God in the punishment of sinners is sometimes spoken of in relation to the deliverance of the people of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Just turn there with me, please. 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 6. Let's again read from verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now think of this, dear friends. This matter of the Lord dealing with the enemy is in relation to his righteousness concerning the people of God. And so, you know, this is a wonderful attribute for us to consider. It isn't only that the righteousness of God speaks of dealing with the dealing with evil, but also it speaks of the fact that God will bless his people because he's righteous to do so. Now, um, the word of God also shows us that the Lord is righteous in keeping his promises. This is mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 7. We read these words. Thou art the Lord the God who didst choose Abraham and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and has performed thy words, for thou art righteous. What a tremendous statement that is. So the righteousness of God concerning the believer causes, or should cause, the believer to rejoice. He should be glad that God is righteous, because if God is righteous, it means he keeps his word to his people. This is the blessing. For the people of God, God is absolutely righteous. Blessed be his name. Well, we're coming towards an end. But it's good for us just to consider one other aspect to do with the righteousness of God. And that is that it is manifested 
in his providing a propitiation for sin. And uh, we read about that in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. His righteousness is manifest in his providing a propitiation when sin was forgiven. And secondly, in his justifying the one who has faith in the substitute. Romans chapter 3, going to read from verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Hallelujah. And you know, propitiation speaks of the act of satisfying the wrath of God which the Lord Jesus did on the cross. What a tremendous statement this is. God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Do you know this matter of substitutionary atonement is vital? And it's vital for us to see in the light of the fact that we serve a righteous God. You see, if God is righteous, he cannot just forgive sin without sin being punished. Because that's not just. Sin needs to be punished. It needs to be judged. And as a result of that truth, Jesus came to stay, to go in our place. And to bear the wrath of God and the judgment of God on sin instead of us. And this is the glory of the work of Calvary, is it not, dear friends? That the Lord Jesus stood in our way. You see, the cross not only shows me that God loves me. The cross shows me how God sees my sin. That it must be punished. And it must be punished because God is righteous. And if God simply forgave my sin without the sin being dealt with and me being acquitted, that would just simply be wrong. And how could anybody say God is just? And yet it was in God's heart to have a people that were his own. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son into the world. And his son willingly took the will of the father upon himself. And he went to Calvary. And he bore the full weight of our sin upon himself. And as a result of his death upon the cross. The righteous anger of God. The wrath of God was satisfied. Hallelujah. And as a result of that, through faith in that work, I may know what it is to be delivered 
and freed from all my sin, justified in the sight of God, as though I'd never sinned, because the Lord Jesus took the punishment for me on the cross. Oh, what a tremendous thing this matter of the righteousness of God is. He couldn't forgive me if the sin wasn't dealt with. The wages of sin is death and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures are clear. We are heading for God's judgment every day we live on the face of the earth. We have sinned against God and the soul that sins must die. And then after that, there's eternal judgment because of iniquity. But the Lord Jesus died in our place and took the punishment for our sins. And to the one who believes, he is freed from his guilt. And the wrath of God is not upon him, for he's put his faith in the one who took the wrath of God for him. As the hymn writer put it, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. It says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 that he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so God has so worked things that we read in the, in the first letter of John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. These words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that an amazing statement, dear friends? Now, if I had not known what this verse had, had, had said, I would have thought the scriptures would have been rendered like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins. But the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says that he is faithful and just. Oh, what an amazing thing that this matter of forgiveness is tied up in the justice of God. Incredible. You see, if I confess my sin, because the punishment for my sin is already been paid, it would be unjust for God to not forgive me of my sins if I truly confessed it to the Lord. He's made such a way for me, with himself, through his Son, that it would be unrighteous for him not to forgive me if I confess my sin because the son paid him for the, the penalty for my sin on the cross. Oh dear friends, no wonder this particular gospel is called good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's good news, isn't it friends? That our God is righteous. Oh, what a glorious fact it is. And how gloriously we see it in the work of Calvary. And all that Jesus did for us. And all that it must have taken the Father to have to vent his wrath, which was due upon us, upon his very Son. What a miracle. What, a, what an incredible, glorious truth this is. How God is righteous. There is no injustice. 
Or friends, in the light of what I've just said, can anybody put their fist up to God and say, it isn't fair the way you're treating me? When God has given his own son to die the cruelest and most awful death in history. That a people might be redeemed and brought back. We were sold in sin and slaves to sin. But through the work of the cross, the Lord Jesus has paid in full our debt. And now God sees those born of his spirit in the Son. And he sees us as righteous in the Lord Jesus. Friends, what a way for us to finish this thing today, this attribute of the righteousness of God. We've seen that it's related to the way he deals with sinners. But also the glorious way in which he deals with saints. May the Lord encourage our hearts and enable us to press on with him. Let's have a final word of prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you will take what is of yourself and bless your people with it. We ask, Lord, that anything out from myself that hasn't been of you, you would take from us and pardon me for it. But that which has been of you would resonate in our hearts and minds in days, weeks, months, even years to come. Write your word on our hearts, Lord. We want to be those that love you for who you are and come into more with you and know you better. Thank you that you are righteous in all your ways and all your works. And we praise you for that. Help us to remember that in our praise and worship and in our praying. That we serve a God who is totally righteous and just. We bless you and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, brothers and sisters. Thank you for watching. The Lord be with you.